That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? The time has come. You know it in your soul. For I am your soul. You cannot stop me. You are puny. You are small. You are nothing. A hollow shell. A rusty trap that cannot hold me. Smoldering, I burn you. Burning you, I flare. Hot and bright. Fierce and beautiful. You cannot stop me. Not with wine or vows. With the weight of age. You cannot stop me. But still you try. Still you run. You try to drown me out. But your voice is weak. Frank Miller, The Dark Knight Returns. So, The Dark Knight Returns, considered to be by many the greatest Batman story ever told by Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen and Lynn Varley. What do you think, Gramps? It's my favorite. <laughs> I would have never have guessed. No, n- not in a million years. Uh, I read it once back in 1989. <laughs> 19 dickety two. <laughs> <laughs> Wes is like, oh shit, Grandpa, he likes him. <laughs> so yeah, this is this one is like the the titan of all Batman stories because I mean it carries so much weight. It changed it, everything. It, it, it flipped. Yeah. It flipped the not just Batman but almost the co- whole comic industry on its head in a way. I mean, would you guys agree with that? Yeah, he definitely made it to where I'm just going to take this comic and make it where it's going to be raw as hell and in your face, and this is reality. <laughs> this is how I'm going to do it, and you're either going to love it or hate it. Yeah, well, with all the success that Frank Miller had with uh, Daredevil over at DC, I mean, over at Marvel, uh, DC wanted him to do a batman story for a very long time and he was talking about how when it was finally time to do it it was one of those situations where he had free reign he had or as he liked to put it even at comic-con he said uh dc let me play with their toys and he i think he just knew the potential and the importance of this opportunity and took full advantage of it and he just did so many things that no one's ever done with Batman by making him older and putting him in a tank and having a female Robin and riding a horse and the Joker's death and Superman. It's just, you know, he and he knew how to tell a good story too, especially one that's relevant to the current times, right? Um, it was at a time when, um, according to a lot of interviews that I read that he put out around the time that 
DC was really thinking of almost overhauling their main core of characters, including Superman and Wonder Woman. Um, I forget who the, the other writer was, but they actually had came up with a Superman and Wonder Woman story, and Batman was included also. And they wanted to pitch that as well, but it never came to fruition. But he kept some of the notes that were part of that story and tied it into Dark Knight Returns. Dark Knight Returns was a very long process for him to make. Like you said, he he was working with Marvel for six plus years, uh, first starting out you know as a grunt, then he worked his way into becoming the the main artist for Daredevil, and then he got a break and took over the reins as far as writing and drawing uh, the Daredevil title for a number of years. Teamed up with Klaus Janssen, really really developed his style and honed in on the realism that New York city, you know, offered there. He made daredevil a comic that, um, was, a was really on the shelf and almost about to get canceled into one of their top selling characters after he ended his run with daredevil. Yeah. He, he had made a name for himself in the, as one of the top talents. And, um, he was approached by DC about doing a Batman story, but first he wanted to do his own story and it was a story called Ronin and he wanted, he didn't want it to be like, or he, he was tired of doing the month to month grind. Basically. He said it was basically like running a sprint every month. You know, you're just running as hard as you can trying to keep up with deadlines and deadlines and deadlines. And he wanted to branch out. He almost, almost like wanted to be a, a novelist. He started developing the Ronin story that in the graphic novel format, where the story didn't have to wrap up in 24 to 30 pages. It, it, it's going to be a long story. So he did that, and he, he was talking about how that taught him how to pace himself as a writer to make you know, these longer graphic novel-type stories. Well, let's go then, back real quick before you go forward um, about uh, Batman's timeline that led up to The Dark Knight Returns. When Bob Kane and Bill Finger started Batman, it was it was pretty dark back in the— 40s and so on before it went camp and then it was camp for a very long time in the comics and the show and then when it was time for them to go back uh, to the serious side of Batman they pulled in Denny O'Neill and uh, Neil Adams to bring a more realistic raw serious mature Batman to comic books yeah it was almost like a horror story right yeah very, I mean, the artwork matured, the stories matured, and it was, they were like what Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder might be today, just yeah. making it relevant. But why I bring this up is because Neil Adams was the one that Frank, a younger Frank Miller would visit in the studio and give him tips on drawing, you know, putting tracing paper over his drawings and correcting what he was um, not getting quite right with perspective and anatomy and things like that and neil adams was also what was the one to get uh frank miller's frank miller his first comic book gig through a phone call so it's just interesting how you see the chain of events and creative teams down the line that eventually led up to frank miller stepping in the door and pretty much changing everything as we know it for the world of batman so i think uh something also important to note is uh 
in the fifth wall, you were mentioning how it started out dark in the comics, that is in general, started out, well, the Batman stories at least, started out dark and gritty, and then at one point they shifted to a kind of lighter tone and a campy tone. Mm. Um, I'm just flipping through the uh, the absolute version of The Dark Knight, and the introduction is by, I don't know if this is also in the trade or if it's any of the other versions, but there's a two-page intro <clears throat> by Frank Miller where he kind of talks about a little bit of a timeline, and um, in the 50s, there was a pop psychiatrist who uh, he created this article, or he made this this stu- he created this study. It was a bullshit study mm. uh, with no relevant like um, facts that comic books and uh, and comic book characters and storylines uh, were contributing to um, you know the juvenile delinquency of the 50s of the 1950s. Mm. Yeah, so, that's how. Uh... Wortham you're talking about yeah yeah so it stigmatized the medium and you know and and i think that i think even stan lee there's a couple of interviews he talks about how he would be at parties and people asked him what he did for a living and he would be embarrassed to say that he was a comic book writer um because it was such a stigma back then it's like oh man like you're writing books for little kids and by the way like you're turning our little kids into like little demons, and that's why they started the whole approved by the comic code thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 because of Wortham, and uh, that that whole thing uh, about you know being ashamed of writing comics. That's why Stan Lee goes by the name Stan Lee. Mm. Uh, right. He thought that he was going to do these comics for a little bit just to to pay the bills, and he was saving his real name, Stanley Liebert, for when he wrote these real books later on. Mm. How'd that stuff. work out for him? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, ask him at a con this weekend. <laughs> when you're paying a hundred bucks to get him to sign one book, thanks. And he was even on the verge of uh, of quitting it before. Uh, I think it was before he did Spider-Man. Uh, yes, Peter Peter Spiderman. Yes, Pete Spiderman, attorney at law. Attorney at law. Uh, I believe it was right before he did Spider-Man that he was ready to quit, and his wife uh, convinced him, I believe it was his wife, convinced him to just write a character the way that he wanted, the way that he wanted to write it, and that was, that was where he did that. Howard the Duck. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Saved comics. Oh, shit. I believe it was his idea to have those duck boobs in the movie. Another badass little tidbit that I was just reading over this intro. Um, two things that were pretty awesome. The first one being that, um, and I think I think it's in a couple of the other versions of the trades um, in the intros that they talk about. But how how you know the first at least the Dark Knight Returns was a big commentary on um, not just kind of like the landscape of society of uh, of the eighties New York. You know um, how it just you know people see it today like they see like. Times Square is a hub for tourists, but back when Miller was writing the book, um, you know, like gangs like owned Times Square, gangs owned like the streets of New York. So it was su- it was super high in homicide. Yeah. It was even like two, three hundred more homicides than it was the previous year. So I thought I, you were going to stay in Detroit. <laughs> he he oh, mentioned no, but... in an interview how he he himself was mugged a couple of times and it pissed him off so bad that. He couldn't even live in a city without going outside and having to carry extra money to to just give to people that <laughs> would mug him. And I mean, yeah. <clears throat> so he yeah, moved. I mean, he moved to L.A. <laughs> I 
He's like, fuck this shit. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Great choice. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, so the, the the one thing being that the, the Dark Knight Returns is very much set in that kind of landscape where, obviously, the mutants, right? Where in the first couple pages, uh, Bruce is walking down the street and the mutants, like, they see an old man they can take advantage of. To me, it's like it's almost like um, a large part of this story, just like with every great writer, a lot of it's based on their own lives. Yeah. And when when I read that interview talking about how he got mugged, that's the first scene that came up to mind. I was like, he's he's putting himself in there. Yeah. You know, Gramps, I, I feel like it's really him painting a picture, uh, a picture, a picture, a, a picture of how. <laughs> Oh, it was at Picture. that time in New York. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember being a, a child in the '80s in New York, young child, and it was common to go back to your car and seeing the window smashed in when someone would, you know, rip out your stereo. Back when you could just steal them like that. It's Times Square was just known for gangs, prostitution, and drugs. You know, it was just yeah. Like, it's called a very good um, Monday morning in Detroit, actually. That's called the Trunkler Special. Aw, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's uh, the er, voice right there. Don't hate the Trunkler. Hate the trunk. I found this uh, interview that he did with the Comics Journal. Do you guys remember that old magazine? Yep, it used to yep. come out every month, and it basically just interviewed a lot of comic artists and writers, and it was almost like a previews of stuff but anyway he did this interview with a lady named kim thompson and yeah he talked about how he had moved out of new york was living in la working on this title she asked if dark number returns was going to carry a more california feel because he was living in california or if being away from the city made him reflect more about new york city and and he definitely drew a lot of inspiration for gotham based on his experience in new york city and like you guys were talking about all the the violence and the just the way that the city at that time operated you had pornography theaters movie theaters you had a controversial mayor named uh, Ed Koch Cobblepot oh, Ed Koch <laughs> Koch yeah Kwame <laughs> Kilpatrick Ed Koch yeah and i mean so Cratch. it was like a perfect melting pot for a batman story and he pulled everything out of it to, to make this story you know um he also was mentioning oh yeah 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 another thing too is obviously the the physical landscape but also the kind of the um the media landscape um he talks about how like you, you think of the Dark Knight Returns and like the main villains <clears throat> of the story. When someone says, "Hey, who are the main villains in in the Dark Knight Returns?" and you might say, "Oh, well, the first half it's you know Harvey Dent, Two Face, uh, you know, and then Joker, right?" But what's interesting that he mentioned is that even worse than Two Face and the Joker are the talking heads and the politicians and broadcasters that he puts into the story, um, who are just making like these wild, you know, accusations. Who are making these like you know, unfounded comments and stuff. And he's talking about how that's the real villain. That's who's really destroying like society are these individuals who don't know what the hell they're talking about. And they're just making assumptions and making judgments and stuff. So, and you know what? It's, it's exactly how it is till this day. Well, you have like these four or five different people going back and forth, what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, a lot of it's fabricated. And I think he, he, he knew that back then, and he was like, fuck it, I'm going to put it in this, and, well, 
I'm going to show people how it really is. I love yep. how he attacks people's sense of political correctness. He's does it, he's going to piss he's going to piss a lot of people off with this new book, and I can't wait. Well, he did. He, he's already. I mean, he already did it with this, the second one, and I can't imagine it being even more with this one. You know, it's like, what else can he say that's gonna that hasn't already pissed people off? It's gonna be awesome. I don't know. Maybe he can make fun of these guys wearing man buns. Oh my God! Please, That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> dumbest fucking trend ever. Yeah, oh. it's bad. Outfit. You know what it looks like? There's an epidemic of bald men in 10 years because they wore man buns. Don't you just want to grab them and just pull their scalps back and fucking (laughs) land on the floor? The Dark Knight grabs a man bun and beats his... (laughs) (laughs) I could just see it, man. Did you guys ever watch Home Improvement? Yeah. 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 Remember that fucking episode where the middle one, Zachary Ty Bryan, comes home and he's got that exact fucking haircut? Oh, God. And they made like a whole arc, like a whole like three episodes about his <laughs> shitty haircut. And that was in what, like the nine, early 90s. <laughs> his haircut was so <laughs> shitty back then, it had three episodes of Home Improvement. I'm the Whoa. new villain, it's going to be Man Bun, dude. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Batman's ass. Uh, worst uh, villain ever. <clears throat> one cool thing, I mean, I guess, yes, we all agree that this story flipped, flipped the comic world upside down and um i guess yes and uh miller said that his whole point of writing this story he wanted he understood that his readers were more like sophisticated they weren't just little small kids he wrote for basically an adult audience and he said i wanted someone to be able to carry this story on a plane and not be ashamed wow just like how you know, you would carry any other book. It inspired other artists or other writers are like, hey, I can write a story about this. I can write a realistic story. It doesn't have to be all boom, bang, pow, you know, good guy always yeah. type stuff. And I think it also kind of legitimized, I mean, it re-legitimized Batman as a guy that can hold his own because, you know, you think about it, he's street level, you know, like Daredevil. He's street level. He's, he's not a... He's not a superhero. He doesn't have powers. He's a guy in a suit, and he's you know he's got a lot of money, and it kind of showed, you know, it kind of showed that even though he's just a man, look at what he's capable of, everything that he's able to do, mm. and it kind of just kind of reaffirmed that it doesn't have to be a flashy book set in space. He doesn't have to have powers. He doesn't have to fly. You know, he doesn't have to have a whatever. It's just he's a dude, <coughs> and as long as you got a good story of a guy beating the shit out of people, people are gonna buy it. <coughs> I thought it was very interesting what Frank Miller said at New York Comic Con 2015 this year where he was talking about how DC was actually embarrassed um, by the book in the beginning. And that was one of the main reasons they started all of these Elseworld stories. Um, that's coming from Frank Miller. So. I thought that was you know, they were says, embarrassed. They weren't embarrassed when they sold like two hundred thousand copies. <laughs> <laughs> he says in an interview, he said he had former writers and artists come up to him that did Batman and were like, "We hate this. Yeah, we hate what you did to him." Well, I think fans <laughs> were like, "We love what you did to him." <laughs> he takes chances, man, and sometimes you don't agree with them and sometimes you do but he has balls to take the chances that's why um he killed electra one day he said man i think i'm gonna kill electra spoiler <laughs> alert 
He yeah. woke up <laughs> from he, about 30 he years ago. Coffee 30 years was like, later. Fuck this, I'm killing her. <laughs> yeah, I love but, that though. But he has guts, and that's what a good writer should have. I know I know. we're going to get into this because we're just doing Dark Knight Returns for now, right? We're not doing Strikes Again yet? Right, just Returns. <laughs> okay, well, then I'll... Well, I, I, there is something... <laughs> there's something really interesting that, that I hope we, did, we delve into that may, many people might not know, but while he was writing Dark Knight Strikes Again, um, it was halfway done, the September 11th attacks happened, and it completely changed the way he was going to end the story because in his original vision, uh, Batman flies the Batmobile or he drives the Batmobile into a building and then a, uh, a robot partially destroys part of Metropolis in it. it just changed, you know, he, he decided, like, oh, shit, I can't do this now, you know. I had to completely change the vision of it. So he kind of, you know, and I'm wondering, you know, it's interesting to note that everyone puts Dark Knight Returns on this pedestal, obviously, because it's amazing. But then the second, you know, the second part gets shafted a lot. You know what's even funny is you see all these variant covers that are coming out by all these artists. I don't think there's one that's referenced part two at all. It's all mm -hmm. part one. Actually, there is one. Uh, it's where Carrie Kelly was dressed up as Catwoman. Was that? Uh -huh. Yeah. Catgirl. Um, Catgirl, right. Uh, I don't, I think it's for a, a later issue, but they have referenced it. Yeah. I want to yeah. get the one where Carrie Kelly's dressed in Lederhosen. <laughs> I don't know who drew that one, or if it's even been drawn yet. But. You want me to say what? Okay. This is Grandpa Batman with the Bat Force Radio. Whatever that is, we didn't have no podcast in my day. All right. Let's dive into this for real, serious. Oh, shit. Oh, let's get real. He's cracking oh, open shit. that bottle First of, of all, good barbecue sauce. Slice and dice. When oh. did you guys first read this story? Had you already been already been reading Batman before, or was this like your first taste? Or just tell me how you first read this story. This I think I when I first read it, I mean I was too young to understand or get it. So I remember I, I remember very specifically uh, in high school, like right before graduating and going to college walking into like the shop that was right by the house. And I remember seeing it on like, uh, just like I saw one of the trade versions on the display shelf. And I, I remember walking in, I always saw it displayed and every once in a while I'd open it up and crack it open and look at it. And I, it just, I didn't get it. You know what I mean? And it wasn't until probably shit. That was what probably my senior year of high school, like right before I left for college, when I asked somebody, like, Hey, what, no, no, no. It was later than that. It must have been in college. I was in college, and I asked somebody, what are some stories that I need to read? And Hush was coming out in single-issue format. It was still coming out. I think it was halfway through Hush. And, uh, you know, the dude gives me, like, three or four issues of, of, of uh, the Batman run. He gives me a, a Dark Knight Returns. And I can't even remember what was the other one he gave me. I think it might have been, like, The Long Halloween. Um, but he, I remember he gave me Dark Knight Returns as like one of three to read, and it wasn't until probably like my freshman or sophomore year of high school that I really understood like what it was. How about you, Robin? When when did you first read this story? Uh, the first time I read it, I couldn't even uh, I couldn't even buy the issues at the time. Uh, so this was probably maybe ninety. One ish, 
I was reading the issues in a flea market that used to be uh, about 10 minutes away from my house that had a, a comic, uh, like a little comic shop that was always set up in there. And that was where I used to spend all my money. Uh, I would get my comics either there or more uh, regularly was just at a corner store. But uh, because I couldn't actually buy the issues at the time, I, I would just sit there uh, at, at this pawn shop, uh, not pawn shop, at this uh, flea market. Uh, and just sit there in their booth and just just read books. And that was where I started reading Dark Knight Returns. And like Tom said, I I didn't get it at the time. Like I I would see panels where you know Batman was massive and <laughs> pounding on people, and I thought that was cool. But I I took nothing else from the story. I just wasn't uh, old enough or mature enough to to take anything more from it than that. So it yeah. wasn't until I read it, uh, read it again years later that that uh, it affected uh, affected me in any way. You know, I think what also kind of threw me was, as much as it's a Batman story, there's a lot of other uh, players involved. Like Gordon is prominent, um, Carrie Kelly. You know, it's it's got different perspectives, uh, and I, I remember being really thrown off by like the Talking Heads portion of it. Like, that was way over my head, seeing, like, little bubbles with, like, the people talking. And I remember, like, you know, it, to me, it wasn't what I knew as Batman. And at the time, you know, what was it? Like, 2000, God, 2000 I think it was, like, 2000. So, 2000, 2001, 2002. So, I knew Batman as the animated series, um, some comic versions of him, but not really that much. I hadn't gotten into it yet. So, to me, it was completely different. It was, like, it was almost like, a, it wasn't even, like, the same character almost. So, that's another thing that flew over my head. I was like, what is, you know, what is this? This is like weird, you know? It was like three stories going on at once, wasn't it? I mean, you could read half a page and then here come the talking heads and then it'd go to another story and then it'd come back to the first part. So yeah, I mean, it, it jumps around so much. It wasn't your, your typical format, like where you would just, you know, A to B to C and then finish the yeah. story. And there's a lot going on, too. I mean, like you say, that I think that each page has, I mean, you know, you're maybe used to like four or five panels, but each page has like eight panels, you know what I mean? Or more, because there's so much going on. It's like constantly moving. There's different scenes all the time. So I think that, that threw me, too. It's like I have ADD, like not knowing what the hell I'm looking at, you know. <laughs> it made me wonder. I'm trying to write my own little story, and it made me wonder... Did he write main story A and then the talking head news people as story B and then the other plots and then just kind of cut them all up and throw them together, mix and mash them, interweave them to do that? Because, I mean, it jumps back and forth. And, I mean, for a reader, unless, you know, if you're really young, you're not going to get it. But the commentary actually, it adds a lot to the main story but in a way but it's just so original how uh, how he did that he actually started doing that a little bit in his daredevil run but not as much as like what this was in dark knight returns how did the trunkler first get into the dark knight returns <laughs> um well i i that was, it wasn't of course the first thing i had read but um i never really got into it until i was uh you know, an adult in my early mm -hmm. 20s. Um, 
But uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I first seen it, I thought, okay, well, what's this? You know, I was a kid. Well, this artwork's shit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was a kid back then, so I didn't, I didn't know any better. But you know, and I think Graham's hit on the head. I mean, for a younger person, <laughs> when they're reading it, they might not fully understand or you know be able to wrap their head around you know the style of the reading, the artwork, and be able to appreciate. How it was written. Mm-hmm. I, I was the same way, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it wasn't written for a young trunkler. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, did no. you guys ever? Uh, did you guys ever read Wizard Magazine? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. I um, so many of those. My favorite. My favorite part of Wizard was the um, the the fan cast when or the uh, the dream cast whenever they would yeah. uh, fantasize about who they would get to pe- play certain characters in certain movies. And I'm pretty sure they did the Dark Knight Returns at one point. And I can't remember which who they casted as Batman, but I remember like not having read the Dark Knight Returns yet and uh, flipping through that and seeing who they cast as Batman. And I was like, no, he's fucking not. Hmm. Like, just because, you know, obviously it's not the same. It's an older character. It's a different Batman. Hmm. And and just being like what what, like not understanding it at all. Just similar to Scott, like this <laughs> fucking art is shit. I'm like that casting is shit. And it's funny back when uh, back when they used to do that in in Wizard, all those fantasy castings for movies. You would never imagine that m- most of those movies would ever actually happen. Mm. Oh my god, I was just thinking of Preacher this this weekend. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I, I I remember being like. Um, Preacher specifically, like when I was a kid, like looking at uh, what's his name with the blown up, the blown in face. I forget his name. Earth's face. <laughs> yeah, like I remember being a kid <laughs> seeing that, and I'm like, what the hell? Like, and then and then thinking back in my head, I'm like, they're never gonna make this stupid thing. And, <laughs> enough. Twenty years later. Wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of. Um, I mean, I remember another thing was, you know, now so I'm flipping through it again. Um, you know, there's a lot of reading involved mm, now yeah. you know when i was a kid it was like okay uh throw in you know a few bubbles here and then you know let me see some you know action some kick-ass art i definitely wasn't my cup of tea my, my, my cup of tea back then definitely it's like a, it's like a fine wine <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing which i'm noticing now is that when i look back to it to me, the art actually actually looks better to me than it did when I first read it for some reason. And I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It, it just clicks, I think. Yeah. You get it you, maybe just letting it resonate more and, you know, maturing and understanding it and his vision and art and everything else. I It just looks better to me because it did look like shit to me when I first <laughs> really read it and got into it. I mean, not, looking at it now as, well, I don't want to say a mature adult because I don't think anybody <laughs> in here is a mature adult, but um, being a little bit older, you. maybe a, a slightly little bit wiser. Um, the art and the story, you know, uh, and the writing um, complement each other, like what you were saying earlier, that, that it kind of it, it mixes well with it. Well, it's a harsh story, so you wouldn't expect the, the artwork to be pristine and clean like you know like oh, you yeah. said before a, a jim lee story it just wouldn't fit i mean that's not miller's style and yeah. i think a or lot even, of 
the new generation of people that are being introduced to it now for the first time, they're probably having the same ideas and same thoughts that we had when we first picked it up. Um, I kind of had, you know, the same, I think I've told you guys this before, but that complete Frank Miller leather, leather bound, that was like my first graphic novel that I bought. I saved up my money to get that. How by uh, mowing lawns, right? Yeah, I'd, paper out. Yeah, <laughs> back back before no. he had his wife to mow the lawns. <laughs> Actually, I was gonna say he was having his girlfriends mow the lawn while he was sitting there reading comics. But I mean, he draws a grizzly aged Batman. It's almost it's kind of weird to me because I look at the first two books as being drawn really tight, mm. and then start unraveling a little bit in book three and four a little bit. And I don't, I've always wanted to ask Miller and, and Klaus Jansen in a way, but but what, but without insulting them in a way, you know, but I I didn't have the nerve to ask Klaus in New York comic con, Mm -hmm. but after, but after looking at a lot of the work he's done, Klaus Jansen really is like my unsung hero of Dark Knight Returns because he really did the ink work that he did really solidified the artwork in this story to me. Well, if you look at it, well, it could go page by page as well because some might be looser. But if you look at uh, the final confrontation with the Joker before, you know, the Joker supposedly dies, uh, that's a really tight what? page. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> there <it is. laughs> I don't yeah, there's some dead. scenes where, you know, anatomy isn't as important as it is content, but... I mean, even the I guess the best like, way to talk about that is just to actually break it open. But yeah, there's... Scott, crack that motherfucker open. I got my trade right here. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't need a computer to type just off. Open uh... that. Oh! Oh! Gunshot! Gunshot! Nuke explosion! So the first book, book one's entitled The Dark Knight Returns. I just like how in the first scene as we're still in the race car and he's driving, it's almost like a little foreshadowing of the end of the book because he's, that helmet that he wears kind of looks like a little bit like the armored suit helmet. I think he looks like RoboCop in one panel and Judge Dredd in the other panel. <laughs> he does. The, the one panel, he oh, looks exactly dude, like RoboCop. When he's, when he's driving? Hey, that's weird because obviously um, Weller voiced him for the Dark Knight Returns animated movie. So, yeah. and and uh, and Frank Miller wrote the script to the second movie. And yep. and third, yeah. which oh, which uh, Obi Wan Canary loves, by the way. RoboCop <laughs> two and three. He's actually in RoboCop two. Yeah, also. yeah, he plays the uh, street fighter. RoboCop. So he finishes the race. Blah blah blah. <laughs> He's got a mustache like his dad. You notice that? Mm, yeah, this look like Thomas. Mustache like a Russian ham. <laughs> I love that one skyscraper that uh, Frank Miller defines Gotham as. That iconic skyscraper with the bat symbol that um, jumps off on it. In the, in the beginning or what? Uh... Yeah, it's throughout the story, but you can see it right there in the beginning. Oh, yeah, like on, on the second page. Yeah, there. just the shape of it. Just You know, the buildings and the symbol and everything in Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns is very 
large and chunky and broad and and full, which is always really cool, really defining Batman. Frank Miller, he reestablishes a lot of like the iconic and old school plot lines and references for Batman, you know, especially like the part where he's he's having a drink with Jim Gordon. That's straight out of Detective 27, 1939, yeah, exactly. yeah. where the first panel is, you know, mm. Commissioner Gordon is having a drink with his young friend, Bruce Wayne, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And uh, so he really intends to pay homage and and reconnect with all the old mythos and stuff like that. But he's also putting his twist on it because his intention is to tear it all down, mm. put it in the trunk, and then start telling a new story. <laughs> put that shit on lock. He's walking around. Turns. He's walking around. There's there's the trunkler holding a sign saying, we are damned. <laughs> <laughs> then he gets to Crime Alley and some punk kind of... There's two of them. Try to there's cut him up. Right there. Panel where it shows Bruce walking on you know, I, I'm standing there with the We Are Dan's poster. Um, I mean, the the way that Bruce looks, you know, he's kind of, he's looking at the ground, hands in his pockets, and on the far right, he's, you know, saying, I mean, he's talking to himself, he's like, well, my God, the creature writhes and snarls and tells me what I need. Hmm. And then that kind of leads into the... Almost like he's a junkie, isn't it? Yeah, hmm. like he's addicted. That to me was like... The first time I read that, you didn't ever read that in any Batman stories. The internal thoughts really make this story. Which is now, interesting that in the uh, in the animated uh, film that you don't have any internal monologue, but it still works. That's my one complaint about the movie because some of the best lines are on the internal monologue. I love the I love the image of him standing under that lamppost. Yeah, Just, yeah, that's so, sweet. So sick, and I love the way the mutants look. Uh, in the dark with all, all you can see are their visors lit up, you know? Hmm. <laughs> Dude, I really hope, you know they're making the Sons of Batman. Is it Mattel who, who, who's making that? Yeah. 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 I, hope, I hope they make mutants, man. Oh, that'd be badass. Oh, you could army build them. Couldn't Hell you um, do head swaps? I mean, it's like the oh same body, God, isn't 50. it? I get 50 and I'd recreate the scene with the fighting. <laughs> He'll sell it one week, one week later. <laughs> no big deal. Just gotta get his shot down and then off they go. <laughs> when when I was a kid, I wanted one of those red visors. <laughs> Jordy Laporte. <laughs> <laughs> Reading Rainbow. Uh, all the way up to that point, uh, like what Tom was saying, when the, the the first time you see the mutants when they jump out, I mean Bruce almost looks like he's depressed. You know, he's <sighs> sad and. Then it's almost like when, they, when the mutants come out, you know, they're, one of them says, you know, um, I don't know, man, he's awfully big. And then the internal monologue, and he kind of has that. He's awful big. He kind of has that look on his face, like, you know, the, uh, he's getting a taste of it. Like what Gramps was saying, you know, um, just a taste that, you know, and he's getting the feeling back. He's getting the, the adrenaline rush. Of well, blood. in his mind, he thinks it's the killer that killed his parents, too. He's saying, it's him. It is. Well, yeah. And we yeah. and and what's interesting is he refers to we know so many ways to hurt him. It's almost like Harvey Dent talking, right? That's a good one. 
Slicing dice. Hmm. So he, he I takes don't know, man. Out. Look at him. He's into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Turning into a werewolf, only he's turning back into Batman again after all of this time. And you go over. Harvey Dent had reconstructive surgery. He looks normal again, doesn't he? He looks fucking weird. Yeah, he looks weird as a normal person. <laughs> They're in the Arkham home for the emotionally troubled. I love a couple pages over uh, old man Bruce naked in the uh, Batcave with all the everything draped over. And uh, you just see like the uh, the Robin memorial yeah. lit up. That's the only thing that's kind of visible in the Batcave. It's such a sick image. <clears throat> Think I'll Alfred... be making a diorama of that. Think I'll be making one. Alfred with the cane to really display how everyone's aged and how they're into the future from regular continuity. Hey, going back to the Harvey Dent real quick, um, you know, they do the little news broadcast where he's supposedly cured, he's, his face looks good, and then they interview Bruce Wayne. One thing that he says stuck out to me um, straight out of Long Halloween, Bruce Wayne says, we must believe in Harvey Dent. He says, we must believe that our private demons can be defeated. Did Jeff Loeb take that from him? Right yep. there, I mean, that's pretty much the whole point of the book. You know, he's talking about our own private demons being defeated because... When they're done with them, he looks eerily like fucking Luther. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah bald like that. Oh, shit. What the fuck? Sorry, I dropped my lamp. <laughs> I, thought that was, I thought that was Scott. <laughs> My lamp fell off my desk. So Bruce has flashbacks of uh, Crime Alley again, doesn't he? Going fo forward. Yeah. You know, now that I look at this, now that I look at those flashbacks, they look like, in, and there's so many, I mean, what, what is it, 4 by 4 16. Mm. There's 16 panels on this page, all flashback. And uh, it, it's so much what that, like, one-second clip of Batman vs. Superman is mm. with, uh, you know what I mean? That that one little clip in the in a trailer, when uh, Thomas Wayne is kind of like stepping in front of his family. Oh yeah, yeah. As they're getting shot by Aziz Ansari. What's interesting, like you know, it shows the scene where I guess Martha Wayne gets shot and her pearls break. I I could be wrong, but I thought that I read uh, Frank Miller was the first person to use the pearl necklace that now has kind of come to identify Martha Wayne. Damn. Oh, that's crazy. That is crazy. Once again, they have the bat. Well, actually, this was the first time the bat flew through the window. And then the second time we see it in year one. You know what I noticed? Like, as you as you flip through it, I think the first time that you get a look at what the mutants look like, like, the first couple of times you see them, all you see are the glow of the visors. Mm. But then when you flip through it with Carrie Kelly walking through the arcade, that's when there's a flash of lightning. And it's the first time you see a bat. I think it's also the first time Batman like comes back. Mm. You see a flash of lightning, and that's when it, you it lights up the mutant's kind of face, and you see it's a visor. Before that, you don't know what the hell you're looking at. You just it looks like just you know what I mean. Like you don't know if they're, you, know, you don't know what what it is. But then then the, the light flashes, and you see it's just a dude in a jacket with a visor. Hmm. But yeah. it kind of just shows how like how eerie it is, you know, up until that point. So the action's really picking it up, as obviously. Batman's back thundering. in action. Mm. Yeah. Was uh was Miller one of the first dudes to incorporate like the multiple batterings too? I have no idea. Like how he's got he's got four batterings in his one hand and he throws them all at once. Probably. Because I don't you know, you know if you, I still don't know if anybody else employs that. 
it's interesting after you know knowing so much about the Dark Knight Returns. Obviously, I I went back and started rereading a lot of his mm. earlier work with in like Daredevil and stuff like that, and then Ronan, and you really see how he incorporated some of the martial arts that he took from you know Daredevil, the Hand, Ronan, and stuff like that, and used them in Batman. So that probably could be where that came from. Like his work on uh, other stuff? Mm-hmm. You really, you really start seeing like early traits of, of his writing style that he fused into Dark Knight Returns in Daredevil Run once it, he was at the prime of... You know what I'd love? Uh, if you could skip a little bit more ahead to when his first, his first time showing up, that, that money shot a couple pages in, when uh, he's he's got that uh, internal monologue going, where he says, "But I'm a man of thirty of twenty again. The rain on my chest is a baptism. I'm born again." And he's jumping down. And you see, you finally get the 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 whole just the he's got the whole suit. You see his buckle. You see his emblem. It's fucking Batman, dude, just coming at you mm-hmm. big time. Yeah, that's a yeah. This was a great. Page. First, first time I saw him. that, I was just like. Oh my God! Yeah, this was one of the most. <laughs> right out of your wiener, right out of your wiener, you went. My dick oh, flew man. off. Just even in the animated film, this is one of the best, most exciting yeah. parts of the book, and it builds up to that <laughs> because the lightning and the thunder get stronger and louder every time he takes out a thug, some criminal, mm-hmm. and at this point, the thunder's as loud as can be, and he's just jumping on top of that moving car, you know, trying to get these guys and scenes that tom was referencing uh when the police are chasing the car and they see batman and uh the the one the older cop uh says to the younger one who's who isn't familiar with batman says uh, we're in for a show kid uh another one of the scenes that uh, christopher nolan took mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. uh for the dark knight trilogy uh, yeah, it's yeah. straight out of the panel. Well, when, when the cop, when you can, uh, in that squad car, you know, you got the veteran cop that says you're in for a show kid, but even he, if you look, even he's got a kind of a smile on his face when he says it. And the rookie cop is like, oh, 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 and then it, yeah, and then it's bam, money shot, fucking Batman right there in all his glory. I love how the news stories tell, you know, different perspectives of people you know like people say he's a monster with fangs and wings and carrie kelly says no he's like 12 feet tall and stuff like that (laughs) they don't know what the hell's going on this book came out in 1986 right so he had been writing on it for about two years and stuff like that well at the same time he was also writing uh several daredevil stories and stuff like that including one of daredevil's most iconic stories called the born again arc and I love how he ties in bits and pieces. He snuck in bits and pieces of Daredevil into Batman, especially when he says, I'm born again. And also the part where the bad guys are, you know, they've, they've crashed into the construction site after he landed on their car. And uh, one of them goes, that was Batman. And the other guy goes, that can't be Batman. Turk said he killed Batman. <laughs> <laughs> so he snuck that in and DC the editors at DC either they let it go or they just didn't even notice it whoa, the older whoa, 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 you're you're jumping whoa whoa right. whoa fucking whoa yeah. <laughs> when, the, when the goons standing there and they're like man these floors are weak and then all of a sudden 
you start hearing the noise and then crash. Click, click, you know, the guy's pulling the trigger and there's no bolts in there. And he's like, welcome to hell. Can we just have, can we have <laughs> Scott just do all the voices and sound effects? Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I look what the cop says to him. He goes, you know, Bats, I saw you once back when I was working the East End. I was a rookie, like schmuck face here. So it's so great. That's so that's a very New York thing to say. So I like how Frank wrote that in. Oh, oh we, we got, got an echo, echo going here. The, the echo alert. All right. Um, I can hear. Who who wants to explain <coughs> the world why Batman has a rifle in The Dark Knight Returns? Because he doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) That's actually true. That's actually right. (laughs) Frank Miller decided that in order for Batman to function as a 50-something-year-old hero, his old ways wouldn't work anymore. He had to be harsher. And Well, and I'm sure he, you know, being at this, uh, you know, being in at this age so old, you know, he probably can't throw that battering, you know, that with the rope attached to it as far as he could, you know, when he was in his, you know, from year one or from, you know, when he was in his 20s or 30s. And and this is an extreme distance as well. Right. Well, and I mean, also it involves a kid. Have you, I mean, Batman's always been very protective with kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, this girl... Maybe he just shot her in the arm. Well, he's using it to get from one skyscraper to another, right? The line. The oh, line okay. Is... We're talking about that part. Yeah. Yeah, because so many people yeah. are always pissed off because yeah. every time we take a picture of him with the rifle or, you know, we post, post a... Yeah, I love the people that don't know shit and they're like, Batman doesn't use guns. Batman says never use guns ever. He used a grapnel gun in the 89 movie. They don't think about that. You think so, yeah, could... for for anyone wondering why Batman is using a rifle here, he's shooting a grapnel hook uh, across an extreme distance from one building to another. Mm. So, suck it up. Yes. And, uh... and, then, and then, he, oh, he, then he uses it again to uh, grapple onto the bottom of the helicopter. Yeah. That's it. And then that takes him over to the next building to get towards Harvey Dent, which is mm-hmm. the former Two-Face, because in this story, uh, Harvey Dent has went through some reconstructive surgery to look normal again, which is very eerie because he looks even creepier than he did as Two-Face. So really interesting mm-hmm. to see that. And, um, and that concludes book one of the four that make up the dark knight returns well, the book one is entitled the dark knight returns and uh, when we go through book two that's called the dark knight triumphant you know i see him i see i see a reflection harvey and then it shows the if his face was really a bad face <laughs> like you know what the how we would always talk in the past about you know the scarecrow toxin by maybe perhaps using that take a look have your laugh. I'm fixed, all right. At least both sides match. Have your laugh, Batman. Take a look. Take a look. That's not bad. It's pretty good. 
Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, <laughs> fuck Thanks, you, I mean. but still. <laughs> <laughs> so my, we, I was listening to the last episode in the car, in the car, and that, uh, that one's and hysterical. I, I think the last one that that we were doing, um, the one fucking comment my wife made was, "You guys have really scaled back on the gunshots." Damn, we failed. <laughs> Twenty more right now. <laughs> Twenty-one gun salute. <laughs> remember when you had to? Remember when you clicked on Internet Explorer and you had to, to dial up that? Is the song like a fax yeah. machine almost? Yeah, yeah that's Wait, how, Scott, how does it sound? Cheeseburg on the end of a fishing pole. Come here, boy. <laughs> It's like some, oh, come it's, here, boy. It's like some Dr. Seuss shit. <laughs> Cheeseburger on the fishing pole. That concludes book one of Dark Knight Returns. Uh, we're going to pick it up with book two called The Dark Knight Triumphant. Yeah, you got to go nuts. Oh, you want me to go nuts, huh? Get nuts. Let's get nuts. <laughs> I gotta speak, Wanda speak, read it. Speak from the crotch. I've already been given the you're too loud look. Uh-oh. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Sleeping on the couch, Lur. Hey, Gramps, I, th- I think your lawn needs mowing again. <laughs> mowing the I'm lawn, Lur. Well, the grass is too long. <laughs> it's nighttime. I'll just duct tape some flashlights to the front. All right, you ready? Yeah. Yep. I was born ready. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Bat Force Radio, book two, The Dark Knight Triumphant by Frank Miller. Bruce has gone crazy, come back as Batman, kick some ass, mm. took down Harvey Dent. Gordon's being forced into retirement, which is yeah. kind of sad. Maybe that's why he's so depressed. So we start off with uh, basically the news about a kid being kidnapped and Batman's going into action to get this kid. And then we get introduced to a young 13 year old girl dressing up in a, a vintage Robin suit. 30 years before any of this, we are Robin stuff, by the way. Mm-hmm. And this is where Frank Miller really flipped the script by having a female Robin. Yeah. yeah a young female Robin. That's, yeah. a, that's another thing that people uh, rag about. Yeah. They all the Kerry Kelly haters. You know, like Batman didn't find her or you know, Batman never recruited her mm. or kind of, you know, guided her. She just kind of did, you know, she just did on her own. Yeah. After he saved her in the arcade, she was like obsessed and she thought, hmm, I'm going to go find him, which is kind of crazy to think about. You're right. I mean, he didn't recruit her and that's, we'll talk about it later, but that's one of the unique things that make her such a different Robin than all the others besides being a girl. I was doing... He really don't put her through the expensive training. Well, not right away. I mean, she does have to go through it, but... Well, in parts of the book, he talks about it, it you know, this this all doesn't happen in, like, a week. I mean, this, this story actually occurs over several months, which I, I think that that's part of what... Uh, in Dark Knight 3 that's going to come out, it, it's going to flash back probably to to during this time. That's yeah. my that's my uh, first initial thoughts after reading some preview stuff. But, um, yeah, she's, uh, she's a little ass kicker. 
I like her so much better than Batgirl. <laughs> I don't know. I like Carrie. She is what I her and Cassie. Are well, she's my faves. she's more to the story because I mean, as as we get more into the story and stuff like that, you see how she kind of helps bring back some humanity toward towards Batman, Bruce yeah. Wayne. Um, mm-hmm. Because he's long gone, he is checked out, he is pissed off, yeah. and um, you know after the stuff that happened to Jason Todd, Dick Grayson basically deserting him. Mm. Really, all he has left is Alfred. Yeah. So she comes in to play and really, really pulls him back into caring about about things again. I was reading. The introduction to the uh, the Dark Knight Returns 10-year collector's edition, and it has an intro by Frank Miller where he talks about he's he said I didn't even intend I wasn't even going to use Robin. This was all going to be balls to the walls, Dark Knight, Batman, crime, war, gritty. And then he says one day I just woke up and saw this little fleck of uh, colors. Leaping over buildings, dwarfed by a gray and black giant, and there she was, Robin. And he he had an epiphany moment, and he like, maybe I can include Robin. And he was talking with um, this other cartoonist named John Byrne, who kind of also oh, yeah. gave him the idea that uh, Robin needed to be a female. Hmm. And this guy drew some sketches of what he thought she should look like. That really set into motion how Carrie Kelly was developed. John, John Byrne's a big name, too. Next, we move to where uh, Batman's on the prowl mm. trying to rescue the kid that's screaming in the telephone that the mutants are I holding for ransom. Dude, that image of him is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Love that, that. Giant bat that goes through the window? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, he uses, here he's, it's almost like he's using a bat as a An actual like a bat. That dude has I love a squad automatic machine gun. Oh, yeah, that's a bone saw, baby. <laughs> I'm 60. Bone saws ready. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that. But... I love hey, Scott, can you do the um, the sound effects for the gun shooting when it says, bracka, bracka, bracka? Oh. <laughs> dude, I love how all the, he makes all these mutants look, man. That'd be so badass if they made a bunch of them. That'd be so badass if a group of people went to like a convention dressed as a group of mutants. <laughs> we should do it. <laughs> our, our whole crew at San Diego Comic Con like that. Oh, that'd be badass. Who's gonna be the mutant leader? Or or as a or as a or or as a Sons of Batman. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be badass. What was that one Simpsons episode where? Uh... Mark Hamill's at a they're at a convention and he's getting swarmed by all the nerds and Bart's like, Dad, look, Hamill's being attacked by nerds. Nerd, nerd, nerd. And he starts kicking their ass. <laughs> Mark Hamill, Homer Simpson, nerd buster. So this is one of the this this is one of the scenes that kind of is the most controversial, don't you think? Mutants still have that kid and the bad flies and actually I like that part where he's like. Oh, man, it is him. Grace, keep your gun on the kid. Spot, get out of the way. And you just see the guy just look at him, and he just gets blown out through the window. What does it sound like when he gets blown out? 
fuck off. <laughs> I love that giant bat. I mean, that's a big, that's a robo-rich king walrus bat right there, bro. Look at that thing. It's like an eagle. And all you see is the silhouette. You don't even see the actual bat, which is cool. Yeah. Immediately it takes this guy out. Batman pulls him through the glass, the guy with the machine gun, and saves the kid that was being held hostage. Well, no, he, he like, blows the mutant girl away. He actually uses a gun to kill someone. That, I mean, that had never been seen before in a, in a Batman comic up at that time. Oh, mm-hmm. with the... And that image where he's holding well, the assault rifle is... Uh... Yeah, some guy used it for a cover. Of, yeah, uh, yeah. It's where Batman is going against, I think it's, uh, is it Deadshot or is it against... Um, he does take out the mutant girl, doesn't he? Oh, he, yeah. yeah. He, I mean, and that to me is like, you know, like I was saying before, Frank Miller intended to, to use all of the old school traditional values of Batman and then just tear him down. I mean, when I first read this part right here, I was like, holy shit, this is not any Batman that I know. I mean, he's brutal at this point. It's like like what Scott said before. He's older. He may not have the skills that he once had. So mm. in that situation, that's his only alternative, maybe. And, and he's angry, and this is a criminal holding a gun to a kid's head. Mm. Yeah, you don't hold a gun to a kid's head. Right. He, he, had to, he wanted to save that Wrigley boy. <laughs> well, and it's like, it's almost not even, like when you... It's almost younger than a kid. It's, I mean, the, 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 the kid looks like he's, what, like fucking like five years old. Mm. Probably no, he's younger than that. Yeah, yeah, he's a lot younger than like, that. He's probably, probably like it's, a year, maybe even two years. Three. You know, so yeah. It's almost like a baby still. And I think that's even, maybe in Batman's eyes, that's even worse. Than, yeah, you don't kidnap a fetus. Yeah. <laughs> well, most of the Batman's... Well, I mean, look at the way when he grabs the kid and holds him. I mean, he holds him yeah. close to him and, you know, comforting. So, I mean. Only Batman can fire a machine gun with one hand. The moral of the story is don't fuck with kids. <laughs> he may be young, but that kid has a full head of hair. Yeah. <laughs> look at look at them off on that kid. Yeah. Then, then we get into one of my favorite parts of the book is where, I mean, the panels are all black. Yeah. And he's like, do you know who I am, punk? Oh, I love worst. that. He's like, I'm the worst nightmare you've ever had. <clears throat> oh, man. And then he slowly peels away his hand. And this yeah. dude is like, oh, I love that panel, that big flash panel where he's like hanging him off that tower in Gotham. <laughs> Oh, that is really good. And he's looking down like, oh, shit. Oh, my gosh. I shit my pants and it rolled up my back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he says it was. That's uh, the worst. <laughs> yeah. Come on, folks. You want that to happen? Don't fuck with that, man. <laughs> he says it was shit tough work carrying 220 pounds of sothio- sociopath to the top of Gotham Towers, the highest spot in the city. The scream alone is worth it. Hmm. Dude. Such great that, writing. That is. Who's a Batman holding in the American flag? 
That's the general. That's huh? the general that was selling the firearms to the mutants, which there's also a general that's corrupted by the kingpin in Daredevil's story. And I kind of think that was could have been the same same guy. There's this exact panel where Sean Murphy pulled his uh, variant cover from. I love that. Oh, yeah. That's so good, man. That's when Batman's in the tank going into uh, mutant territory, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great image. That image right there, modern, something you would see in a book today. I mean, it's really well done. And mm-hmm. and the best part about it is his grin. Like, you know, you never see Batman smile, but that's yeah. like this devilish grin, like, I'm going to fuck your army up kind of grin. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and you're wondering, like, what could he possibly be in? Because you yeah. hadn't seen the, the tank at that point. Yeah. It's true. And then you have the mutant leader with a torch on top of a heap of old cars and a dump surrounded by mutants with guns. And you turn the next page and boom, the first appearance of the legendary bat tank. Such a great <laughs> design as well mm-hmm. for this tank. It's so raw and industrial, but those two pieces in the front kind of... It looks it like a, bat ears on the front. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Such a great design. And he's just taking the mutants out with... Buddha, 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 buddha. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> boom. Frank Miller uses a lot of sound effects in, um, in this book, which is what I love, The Dark Knight Returns. Kind of... <laughs> I guess he was writing in a cinematic way as well. He really wanted to have these action scenes, you know, come to life. You got all these, like, different sounds for the guns, like, the you know, the machine gun noises. It looks mm-hmm. like, you know, he's writing in, like, almost like pistol or mm-hmm. rifle sounds. Yeah. I don't know. He just fires into the crowd. <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost like a scene out of, like, World War II has that feel to it and then you cut over to the page and the tank is actually looking down at the mutant leader <laughs> i love that <laughs> it's almost comical in a way and then and then you got batman on the next page he's got his like little one-eyed willy thing going yeah, on that eyepiece <laughs> and all the controls <laughs> yeah and this is the part where the um the mutant leader entices batman to come out and fight like a man right well, in, yeah. During the entire time, he's talking about, um, you know, uh, but there he is, Dick, the mutant leader, you know, uh, a, a kind of evil we never dreamed of. But then he starts talking about how he's younger. You know, this mutant leader, he looks younger. He looks stronger. He's in his physical prime, almost saying, like, uh, it almost sounds like that Batman knows that, well, you know what? Maybe I will get my ass kicked. I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I just thought it was always interesting how he's reminiscing to Dick Grayson. I don't know if it was because that Dick was the first Robin and he was the one that called the, the machine the Batmobile. But, you know, he's always talking to himself throughout this entire book. You know, he's talking about, you know, this would be a great death or a good enough death and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, he's looking at this guy going, damn, I don't know if I can beat this guy. Yeah, I mean, but he's not going to back down. He hops out of the tank, and uh, they go blow for blow. 
and uh, what does it sound what? like, Scott, when they're going pound for pound? Wait, we got don't see it. do damage what? where he gets out of the tank. Yeah. fucking amazing, dude. Well, oh yeah, on the left with his fists in the air. Yeah, yeah get the sound effects out of your ass. <laughs> and then, it, um, it shows it, it shows uh, Batman almost. You know, he's in a. A suit change. The first issue, it was the 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 classic light blue, yeah, cape and cowl. Here, you know, it looks like it's some more of a black. Well, I think part of it's just because of the lighting, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, it that is another part of the story how he begins the the book in like the classic blue. Yeah. You know, almost as a, a reference to. Batman 66, yeah. Adam West, and, and then the Neil Adams version, kind of like, you know, referencing the the old old school Batman. Yeah, and then he goes and, into the modern with the gray and the big bat symbol on the chest, and then all the way to the armored suit, which uh, is pretty cool, because I think he was a little ahead of his time, actually, with this book and the whole armored thing. That's a huge trend now in modern comics with... Batman armor and Robo bat suits and uh, Justice Buster and the 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 suit that he was wearing in the Court of Owls that you know took them out. But I think my favorite would have to be when he dresses up as the old haggard woman in the. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> that's so great. Yeah, man. He, um, Batman go. Batman goes into this fight. He's obviously not confident, but like you said, he's not going to back down from a challenge, right. and that's. That's kind of a mistake, isn't it? I mean, well, isn't it? he, he, he kind of has this death wish going through this story. Yeah. So, you know, he's looking for uh, for a good death. Yeah. And he figures you know, out... Fucking Charlie Bronson. <laughs> he Bronson, figures Missouri. Out, he figures out real quick, uh, he's not up to match with this guy. So while they're no. going at it... You could see um, Carrie Kelly hiding in the background, can't you? While they're going at it. Yeah, yeah she she found out that the mutants were meeting up at the 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 dump site. Dump site, and, yeah. And thought, well, maybe he'll be there, and she was right. Oh, <laughs> where he catches his foot and he says, yeah. "You're slow. You're slow, man." Ah! I love how he's drawn there with his foot caught. Like such yeah, great that's, detail. That's I love how the mutant leader just kicks him right in the nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. He does. He's like, oh shit. This is intense because now Batman's, you know, getting fucked up a little, and uh, Carrie's well, just like, no, like. Yeah. This well, is one of the the few stories, especially when it came out, that now that I can remember, um, Batman really getting his. I mean, he's getting his ass kicked. I yeah. mean. But you know what he's, he's scratching his chest, he's blocking the kick as Grant. He gets his licks in, but he does. That's what I like yeah. about it. He really does get his licks in and he's holding his own for a while. And then he gets his licks in and the guy starts laughing at him, you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. Mm. He's even right there, he's like, Give him you know, give him everything I got. You know, his neck holds, nose shatters. The idiot starts laughing, and then the mutant leader just has that shit-eating grin, blood all over his nose and mouth. Mm. And then even the next page, you know, there's the first three panels, is Batman just trying to wail on him as much as he could, you know, right hook, left hook, right hook. Batman's getting hit with a crowbar? Yeah, what does that remind you of? Oh, yeah, Jason Todd, man. Jeez. Oh, yeah. So, so not only did Frank Miller foretell of 
Jason Todd's death, but pretty much how it happened, too. Mm. And then Carrie Kelly jumps on top of the mutant leader. Yeah, she's crazy. What she hit him with? Mud in his face? Some kind of plaster, I don't know. Mm. Even right there, um, <laughs> the leader finally gets his hand on Carrie Kelly's head, and, you know, her eyes are all wide, and underneath there it says, Lucky, you're lucky I'm always here to bail you out, like... You know, even though Batman just is getting his ass kicked, you know, he still, you know, I, I feels that he's bailing, you know, bailing her out. Well, he's hal- he's hallucinating, and he thinks it's Dick Grayson, yeah, right? Yeah, he thinks it's Dick Grayson, and she says that he's still alive. So she's able to get him back in, back in the Bat Tank where Alfred's on intercom. But then we cut back over to the White House. <laughs> and- yeah, and this is this is a very uh, Frank Miller actually showing. What if something? What if these heroes were real? The government would try to get involved and lock that shit down. Yeah, yeah. So basically, the president is using uh, Superman as his uh, as the government's errand boy to uh, deal with things that I guess the government would have trouble with. Which that tells you right there that the Justice League isn't around anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you got one arm, Willie, but <laughs> gives a fuck. He's got one arm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so the the tank kind of operates as a mini hospital as well, with that stretcher in there, the lights, intercom with Alfred, mm-hmm. and this thing's cruising back on autopilot back to the back cave. And I love that panel in the upper right hand corner when it just shows you the scale. Of the tank compared to the car in front of it. <laughs> it's insane. It's like this huge monster with headlights. Alfred here uh, wants to talk uh, wants to talk Bruce out of bringing this girl back to the Batcave. Uh, and this is Alfred who uh, once was so eager to bring Vicky Vale down into the Batcave. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he always finds a way to fit that in. <laughs> I like how, like... Like Bruce is bringing her back, almost like she's like a stray dog that he found. Can we he, keep her? he tells her who he is. He says, "I'm my, mine's Bruce." Says, "My name's Bruce Wayne." And uh, Alfred's like, "Sir, you're delirious. You just need rest. Don't try to speak." <laughs> Saying, "What are you doing?" <laughs> I think um, Bruce at this time was just too old to care about things like that. You know? Well, I think he was grateful. I mean, she saved his life. Yeah, just out of the blue, you know. Otherwise, he'd be he would have been dead. And they're back at the Batcave. We could see the uh, Robin's um, outfit in that capsule again as he's returned. He's in bad shape, but he could still walk. Pretty cool. Turn over. Well, that was this one of the most striking uh, images or panels in this book was when Carrie Kelly stares up at uh, Jason Todd's Robin uniform, right? Yeah, that's crazy. I just thought it was interesting how he he basically stripped down and and walked and met this big giant bat that that lives in the cave. Like it's like the I don't know. It's almost like his totem or like his mascot in a way. It's the thing that keeps that fire alive inside of him. Going forward, it turns out the uh, the mutant leader's in custody, isn't he? Yeah, they've got him in the city jail. Big Dick Mayor thinks he can go talk to him. <laughs> Which, I mean, that kind of led me, uh, you know, to our earlier discussion about, you know, how 
all the mutants were a symbolism for the crime and and terror that was in New York City at the time. And and then you have the beloved mayor, like what was his name? Ed Coach. Koch. Koch, yeah. Yeah. The beloved mayor going to talk to the leader of this mutant gang and just gets killed. Yeah, it wasn't the brightest move on his uh, part. Yeah, you get your nose bit off with that one. (laughs) Cutting forward, really cool image, pretty much uh, an old Bruce Wayne. uh, Not many, uh, just scars revealed due to not having any clothes on, but that um, arm brace or harness made by part of Carrie Kelly's cape. And then she's like climbing up on him, hugging him, glad that he's okay. It's pretty. uh, Pretty I like you, old man. I'm gonna give you a hug. Yeah. <laughs> She'll hear really? She's just she's just met him. Well, it was just like mm-hmm. Barbara Gordon. How Barbara Gordon was so inspired by Batman, you know, coming up and throw on the cowl and, and do good and ride along with Batman. And it's cool how Frank Miller here uses that uh, technologically advanced arms, uh, the skeletal arm brace for Bruce, similar that they yeah, used for his that. leg in um, what was it, uh, Dark Knight Rises, I think they used it for his leg um, same concept oh, yeah. yeah, and this is where he transforms to that, it's almost like a vintage suit, you know like back in 1939 the, the gray and the black yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I love that. And this is where he re- literally transforms to the Dark Knight. He's not Batman anymore. Mm. Mm. It's pretty cool that Bat Cycle with the sidecar, and he has Carrie Kelly in it, dressed up as a, a female mutant gang member, leading the yeah, mutants to, towards a fake meeting. To that, in to that <laughs> meeting, yeah. Right. Okay. So that only she knows about, and I love how everyone acts like they knew about it when she starts telling them about it. Like, oh yeah, yeah, we know about that. <laughs> when I when I first read this, I was like, what are they saying? I mean, <laughs> my mom licking Cheggs, all lines are busy. <laughs> Cheggs kind of my nasty. Yeah. Cheggs Billy. <laughs> Cheggs preschool mutant. And I was like, what in the world? I mean, it didn't make any sense, but you know, if you read it with a kind of flow, you can kind of get what they're saying, but. The one person that's responsible for all that is Lynn Varley because Frank Miller and her had moved out to L.A. during, uh, well, you know, he didn't want to live in New York City anymore, so they moved to L.A. I read where he, you know, he carries around a notebook and he'd make certain notes and write down things, keep in mind for writing the story. Well, all their dialect for like the mutants and Carrie Kelly and stuff like that is based on how kids in California were talking at that time. And so she basically co-wrote and edited all the lines for Carrie Kelly and, like, the younger younger characters in the story. You got a group of mutants uh, still in the wheels of a car, and they got the trunk up. There's the trunk right there. Here's the trunk. Oh, yeah, they're yeah. On, they're taking on that guy's toys. <laughs> yeah. Well, they got the trunk open, and the well's gone, so they ain't getting far. <laughs> <laughs> then we got that splash page of that big building with the bat symbol on it. Love that. Yeah. And Jim Gordon's like, "What the hell are you talking about, man?" Great. I love this plan. They're luring the mutant leader out to where all of the mutants are through the sewers from the jail cell. <laughs> he wants to. He wants to fight him in front of the mutant leader, mutant gang, to basically break down. The spirit of the game, in a way. Exactly. Cut off the head. 
I love the the strategy behind it, you know, because he knows he's not fast enough to fight him out in the open. <laughs> you get him in the mud, though. Yeah. And then everything is just surgical at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the guy kicked his ass last time. He has to have. He had to come in with a good strategy. He had to be smarter this time because yeah, he wasn't. He didn't have the strength and the the speed and the skill to fight somebody like that anymore. And it, he's more methodical on you know what he's how he's defeating him. Cuts him right above his eyes instead of going in there thinking, oh, "I'm gonna kick this kid. I'm gonna kick this guy's ass and just try and fuck sakes." Um, you know, instead of just trying to go in there and start <laughs> brain fart, hit it, spit it out, and just trying to be like a brawler. Fuck, that's the word I was trying to find. Yeah. You know, the first fight he went in there trying to think, "Okay, I'm just gonna kick this guy's ass," but yeah, you know. Probably swinging, putting, putting, you know, wasting too much energy fighting him. He got his ass kicked, but in this fight, he's more like, like that. So he's more surgical. He's more, you know, precise on okay. Well, if I do this, and that's going to cause him to like, right there, I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut him right above his eyes. Okay, so the blood's going to rush into his eyes, and he'll be blind. You know, he's more precise on what he's trying to do instead of just throwing punches and kicks. I love how the other mutants, they're just like standing around watching, almost like they're like placing bets on who's going to win. Balls nasty. And then we get the delivery of the the famous line, you don't get it, boy. This isn't a mud hole. It's an operating table, and I'm the surgeon. Boom, and he breaks his leg. <laughs> what does it sound like when he breaks his leg, Scott? <laughs> Snap. <laughs> but it says crack. Wow. <laughs> well, I always love this part because I love how there's this younger generation of people witnessing Batman, who's obviously really old at this point, but understanding how, how what kind of force Batman is and how relevant he still is. He pretty much shifts their whole um, focus from you know being in the mutant lead, the mutant gang to being the sons of Batman, so it's just really epic scene, especially in the animated movie as well. I love how okay we're on that page where he's like standing over in over the mutant leader that's laying down on his back in the mud pit. Look right underneath the mutant leader. The second panel, you know, it's got all the TV uh, screens. Who does yeah. that look like in the second panel? Where it's talking about, oh, um, Matt, we're not talking about letting Matt, the mutant leader. Yeah. Matty Murdock. <laughs> he put fucking Daredevil again in the <laughs> in the book. I'm more concerned about that, over, that bitch with the hot dogs. <laughs> I was going to say, he got Rosie O'Donnell in there. Yeah, you're, you're being like, interviewed on the news. Why are you eating a hot dog? <laughs> <laughs> Ma'am, do you use relish? <laughs> oh, and or mustard. Yeah, that'd be a good figure. Becomes big accessory as a hot dog. <laughs> I just love how Miller put in these, you know, these talking head panels and stuff like that, and really giving you a perspective of just like the plain citizen's point of view, you know. So he ba- he did the Daredevil run before this. 
Yeah, he had he had finished doing Daredevil about two years before. He kind of took some time off. He took some time off to do that Ronin book. He was in the middle while he was writing Dark Knight Returns. He was also working on coming back to Daredevil to do the Born Again arc and the Elektra assassin story and then another Daredevil graphic novel. So, I mean, in those two years, he, he was pretty busy and like all these came out in the same year which was pretty amazing did did you read ronan i've read part of it that's not bad no it's the artwork is crazy when i really got into comics it's because i bought that complete frank miller in a collected form and could read it from book one all the way to book four and that's just how i learned to appreciate you know the comics I, I wanted it like a book and i mean this story yeah. reads very much like a book it's actually probably more writing more words than it is pictures i mean that's good. it's a novel you know what, Gramps, with pictures. That, that's exactly why to me the the absolute and the omnibus are so addicting yeah. because you you pick it up and you know for one it has some big ass pages but you definitely can have like a little sitting where you read through it and then it has all the variants they did and all the art. I love that. I, I know a good place to get it too. <laughs> okay, that concludes book two, The Dark Knight Triumphant with the Bat Force Radio. Next week, we'll be discussing books three and four, Hunt the Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Falls. Check us out on Instagram at The Bat Force and Twitter at The underscore Bat Force.